Sorry, I forgot the anthem. That was wonderful. Our scripture reading today comes from John 3, verses 1 through 17. It is a story of Nicodemus, which is one of my favorites in the Bible. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracle signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, One of the things we have to remember as we start to look at this um, selection from the Bible is that Jesus had been in Jerusalem for a while performing miracles everywhere he went. When that was going on before Nicodemus came to see him in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus wasn't just anyone, certainly not in the same class as the lepers, the tax collectors and sinners to whom Jesus normally ministered. No, Jesus, I mean Nicodemus, was a Pharisee, a member of a brotherhood limited to 6,000 men who had all sworn an oath before three of their peers to uphold all the scribal laws in the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Jewish Bible. And a Pharisee didn't follow just the rules in the Bible. He was bound to follow all the specific interpretations outlined in the 24-chapter Mishnah. And if that wasn't enough, the Mishnah's interpretations were further expanded and delineated in the Talmud. Now, to understand just how much this is, we have to remember that in the Talmud, just the commentary on how to observe the Sabbath could go to 156 double pages. I imagine it took a long time just to become familiar with all those rules before one even attempted to try and follow them. If being a Pharisee wasn't enough, Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of Israel. 
The 70 member Supreme Court of, of the Jews is what, what served as a Sanhedrin, and it was made up of church leaders as well as Pharisees and Sadducees. Later verses show Nicodemus to have been wealthy because after the crucifixion, he purchased one, between 75 and 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe to anoint Jesus' body. Yes, 75 to 100 pounds. And that stuff was not cheap back in the day. That cost a lot of money. Finally, we also believe that Nicodemus was from a um, distinguished Jewish family. There are references to uh, Nicodemus's father and people described as the son of Nicodemus who were ambassadors and were royal emissaries for the Romans and for the Jewish people. In other words, Nicodemus was a prince of Judah, just like Ben-Hur. All the commentaries I looked at remarked that it was nothing short of a miracle that Nicodemus sought out Jesus and went to visit him. Now I remember when I was little and everything was either black or white, much simpler, good guys and bad guys, I always thought that the Pharisees were the bad guys of the New Testament, just like the Philistines were the bad guys of the Old Testament. But I don't think Nicodemus was a bad guy. I think that 2,000 years ago, if you were a rich Jewish man who wanted to be closer to God, who wanted to feel God as a presence in your life, you became a Pharisee. That's what his society expected him to do. They expected the Pharisees to be the ones closest to God. Now Nicodemus, having heard of, or possibly even having seen, some of the miracles that Jesus performed, and wanting to be closer to God, it might have been possible that he heard a little whisper from God telling him that Jesus was not what his friends in the Sanhedrin had said that there was something more there he needed to look into. Something made Nicodemus go that day when it was the most unexpected thing to do. So he went to go meet Jesus for himself. Jesus let him in, and Nicodemus explained while he was there. It's interesting to note that Nicodemus said, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. I wonder who else agreed with Nicodemus. Because according to the Bible, he was the only Pharisee who felt this way. So maybe Nicodemus was speaking with the royal we and referring to himself in the plural. Or maybe Nicodemus was just feeling kind of out of place and vulnerable and saying we made him feel more comfortable. Because here in where Jesus was staying was a really, really different place for a Pharisee to be. Anyway, he came to Jesus like a supplicant seeking knowledge from the wise men on a mountain. And he wasn't turned away. And just like the wise man on a mountain, Jesus answered him with a cryptic reply, having to do with how one got into heaven and about being born again. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus was schooled in the practice of debate. Now this was something he hadn't heard before. So he responded by addressing how it was literally impossible for a person to be born again. Ever the patient teacher, Jesus elaborated on his answer, including verses 6 and 7, which I'm going to read for you again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Then when he had explained this, Nicodemus said, how can this be? 
And I think this is where Jesus started to get frustrated. He had an educated pupil in front of him, seemingly confounded by a simple concept. The Spirit of God should not have been unknown to Nicodemus. There are no fewer than five references to the Spirit of God in the Torah. From the beginning, the creation in Genesis, up into the story of Balaam that we heard about last year from Jeff. I mean, last week from Jeff. So, this should have been something he was familiar with. He should have known all the books of the Bible. But, even though he wondered how Nicodemus would ever be able to understand, he still continued to teach him. And he gave him a reference that Nicodemus would surely have understood. It is from Numbers and is related to the Exodus. And it has to do with Moses lifting the snake in the desert. Many Israelites were dying from snake bite because they had sinned against God and God sent the snakes among them as a punishment. And so the snakes were biting them and they were dying. And then, amazingly enough, they were really sorry that they had sinned against God. And they asked Moses, could he please pray to God for them so that they could be relieved from this? Otherwise, they were afraid they would all die. So Moses prayed to God and God answered him by saying, raise high a snake above the people so that they may look on it if they have been bitten and be saved. Now, this is a clear reference to the crucifixion. In fact, Jesus pointed this out to Nicodemus. He said, just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And what's cool is this lifting up has more than one meaning. It means the lifting up of Jesus on the cross, the lifting up of Jesus from the dead at the resurrection, and the lifting up of Jesus to heaven during the ascension. And these layers of meaning make it like poetry. And I think that's why I like this. As a teacher, this whole section of Nicodemus' story speaks to me. I know the frustration of teaching smart students who just can't seem to get it. Often, it's because what I'm asking them to do is something really unfamiliar, and they can't seem to get their minds around something that seems to me to be very obvious. Other times, they struggle because they are asked to use everything that they have never used before, and it's hard, and they don't want to. And they become a little mulish in their resistance, and they pretend not to understand when really all they really need is just some time to think about it. Also, I've been on Nicodemus's side, where I've been the educated student who is challenging the teacher. And when you're faced with something you don't understand, quite often the easiest thing to do is to reply to the literal, just as Nicodemus does. This is what you do in order to get more information so you can formulate an intelligent question. It also works if the questioner doesn't want to appear vulnerable or expose his feelings. So rather than admit that you have an area of weakness, especially a smart man like, like Nicodemus, a trained Pharisee, somebody who's supposed to know everything, he might have just instead decided to challenge his teacher. And it's not uncommon. What I most find amazing about this is that Jesus never stopped teaching. It was the middle of the night. These Pharisees had challenged him at every, every turn. And one student who woke him up asked for knowledge 
and then resisted his instruction. I need to remember this patience when the children in my classroom challenge me. Okay, that brings us to John 3.16. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It has captured the imagination of millions of Christians from all degrees of faith, all denominations, and all levels of Christian learning. People who don't know much about the Bible know John 3.16. As I was studying John 3 in preparation for today, I discovered that the various versions of the Bible are in conflict over one thing pertaining to this verse. Was it a continuation of Jesus' instruction to Nicodemus or not? Some versions, like the Interpreter's Bible, assured me that, of course, most scholars believe that Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus ended at verse 15. And my NIV study Bible attributed the verses of John 3.16 to John 21 as being spoken by John, not by Jesus. But my own NIV Bible that I read to you today has 3.16 and the rest of that chapter in red as being the the word of Jesus. Now, I don't know if this makes much difference, but I like to think that Nicodemus got to hear John 3.16. I like to think that, that these words spoke to him. At times, maybe when he was sitting in the Sanhedrin, when he was supposed to be listening to things or making judgments or studying or whatever he was supposed to do, his mind would wander and he would think back to Moses lifting the snake and to the words of 316. And he would contemplate those beautiful words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They're beautiful. I like to read them. Okay, so what happened to Nicodemus? This isn't the end of his story in John. He's in there twice more. He first appears in chapter 7, verses 45 to 52. Now this is right before the Passion. And Nicodemus has been in Jerusalem. It's after Palm Sunday. And the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the church, have sent out two guards to pick up Jesus so that he can be interrogated and perhaps condemned. And the guards have returned to the court. And I'll read that section of the Bible for you. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So the Sanhedrin of the high court condemned Jesus and cursed his followers, declaring them to be an uneducated mob. Nicodemus alone stood up and tried to intervene. He appeared to be offended by the Sanhedrin's ignoring of judicial process and their obvious bias against someone they hadn't even met. Unfortunately, Nicodemus did not stand up in defense of Jesus, and he had met him. So we can't really get a clear picture of where 
um, Nicodemus stood in the conflict at this time. We do see that the rest of the Sanhedrin took out their irritation on Nicodemus, accusing him of being from Galilee, out of which nothing good comes. But that still isn't the end. There's more. In John 19, 38-42, we can see where Nicodemus' trust and faith finally ended up. And I'll read that to you too. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Jesus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So here they are, after the crucifixion, when many disciples have fled, and Peter would deny Jesus three times. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take by, took Christ's body from the, from, the, from the cross. They wrapped it in cloths, they anointed it with spices, and they laid him in the tomb. The next day was the Sabbath, and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, had in fact done the unthinkable. Remember, he took a holy oath not to violate the rules of the Torah, or the Mishnah, or the Talmud, and yet he had touched a dead body. This was not something Pharisees had done. In fact, I don't think any Pharisee before then or since has touched a corpse. It was a violation of his oath. They had people who did that. And for those people who were responsible for caring for the dead and preparing them for burial, there were specific cleansing rituals, purification rituals. And what they had to do was to immerse themselves in a ritual bath, a mikvah, at least three times before they could be clean. And there was no way um, Nicodemus would have had time to do that. It was the day before, well, at sunset, the, the Sabbath started. So they had to get everything done before the sun went down. And I don't think there was any ritual that could help a Pharisee that broke his oath. So if we want to know how Nicodemus really felt about Jesus... We can see he was faithful when other people ran. He committed to his, his wealth to the spices used for Jesus' burial. And he helped prepare the body, breaking his oath and becoming unclean. And he ignored the opinions of his peers. I don't think the Sanhedrin would have approved if one of their number had broken their oath. Jesus had managed to convert a Pharisee. Now I thought long and hard about what contributed to Nicodemus' conversion. I looked back at chapter 3, read it a couple of times, marveled again at the beauty and profound elegance of verses 14 through 60. And I think the crucifixion brought these words into clarity for Nicodemus. And I'm going to share them with for you one more time because I love them. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
the reference to Moses finally made sense to Nicodemus. And the true extent of God's love, as expressed in 316, was driven home to him by the sight of Jesus on the cross and by the battered and bloody body that he took down. I truly believe that Nicodemus was a man who wanted to be close to God. And though John contains the only reference to him, I do believe he became a devoted Christian and a powerful ally to the early church. So, among other things, this this story gives us beautiful poetry and it gives us powerful messages. God's love through Jesus is available to everyone, even Pharisees. Social class, personal preference, race, background, financial status, crimes and actions cannot keep anyone from the love and forgiveness of God through our Savior. He knows us. He knows the weaknesses we have. He knows the darkness that lurks within us. And he loved us enough to give us his son. That is the wonderful thing about being a Christian. If a Pharisee can find redemption through Christ, then anyone can. And another thing we can learn is that we must not give up our messages. When we speak to people and they don't seem to hear what we are saying, we have to remember that sometimes it takes people a while to hear and think about the message that it has to sink into their hearts. They need time, like Nicodemus needed time. And those hearts that are hardened by sin, pain, or cynicism require our prayers and our patience. Christ's message is exciting. It's fantastic. It's loving and wonderful. And we need to share the joy with everyone. And we we need to not be embarrassed by it. Because nothing is more beautiful than sharing the word of God. So I'd like you to please say a prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible love you showed us by sending your Son. Please forgive us for the opportunities we have missed to share that love. We pray that you will open the hearts of those who need you and help us to be there with the words and examples they require. We pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.